0: This series has been called the Spirit, and we've been looking at the person of the Holy Spirit. What is it that the who is the Holy Spirit, first of all? What is the Holy Spirit? And then out of that, what is it that the Holy Spirit wants of me? What is it that the Holy Spirit can do in and through me? And so Pastor Justin and I are going to try to wrap this series up today and really bring some clarity to our responsibility as carriers of the mission of God and carriers of The Spirit of God, and and today's message is called The Spirit of Witness. But over the last four weeks, we've really looked at a lot of different things. But I wanted to kind of summarize, really recap what we've been looking at for those that may not have been able to join us. I know it's summertime and you're vacationing and traveling and sleeping in and lake and all kinds of stuff. But over the last four weeks, we've looked at really four guiding principles about the Holy Spirit. The first week, we kind of took an overview and we talked about the Holy Spirit is at work throughout the entire scriptures, entire Bible. We looked at the Holy Spirit in the book of Genesis, hovering over the chaos and formlessness of creation in Genesis chapter 1. The second week, we talked about the fact that the Holy Spirit really works through individuals so that the church can be better. And what I mean by that is we talked about spiritual gifts. We talked about each each believer has the opportunity uh, and really has been gifted by God to play their part in the, the orchestra that is the community of faith, to really position themselves to be used by God so that collectively we're better than we are individually. As we talked about that, Pastor Mark, our senior pastor for both of our Mount Perry and North locations came on Father's Day and talked to us about the Spirit really positions us to be able to look to God as father. He looked at the book of Romans and he looked at the story of the prodigal son and showed us that really the spirit allows us to look to God the father and cry out Abba Father, this daddy, this very intimate phrase, this intimate term of understanding who God is and who God is in us. And then last week we looked at the spirit of baptism. We looked at the baptism of the Holy Spirit and we really tried to understand that through salvation and the baptism experience that the presence and the power, everybody say and, The presence and the power of God and the power of the spirit is available to us through the person of the Holy Spirit. And so we've covered a lot We've really looked at a lot of different things, and my hope is that during this series, and I think the stories that we're receiving really bear this out, but during this series, we've really learned a lot more about the Holy Spirit. I know most people in the room, even though you might have heard about the Holy Spirit, you've been in some way exposed to who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is still a very difficult topic and a difficult person, a difficult identity to understand. and, And for many that weren't raised in any type of charismatic or Pentecostal tradition, the idea of the Holy Spirit... and the Holy Spirit interacts with me and maybe works in me and works through me. That's a weird kind of freaky thing. And and so hopefully we've been able to somewhat demystify that and understand a little bit about that. But I said last week, you can't demystify everything about the Holy Spirit. There is a, a supernatural part to this that just cannot be explained away. And so my hope today and throughout this whole series has not been that we would... We would just refine everything down to simple truths and simple statements, but that really we would have a a greater understanding that God, this incredibly big God that we may not be able to see, we see his handiwork through the work of the Holy Spirit in and through us. And so today, Pastor Justin and I are going to try to wrap this series up by looking at the spirit of witness. And we we find the rationale for that in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We've spent a good bit of time in the book of Acts. It's a great place in Scripture to really find the work of the Holy Spirit. So if you've got a Bible, you can flip with me to the book of Acts. We're going to spend a lot of time in Acts, a lot of time in Acts chapter 1. But this is really the rationale and the bottom line of today's message. This is Jesus talking to his disciples after the resurrection, right before he's taken back to heaven to be with the Father. And this is what it says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. So what does that look like for us? Well, I think it can look like a couple things. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will invite your friends to church, right? No, that's not what it says right here. It doesn't say you will receive the power to invite people to Sequoia High School on Sundays. Though I think there's probably a part of that can be a part of your witness experience. That is not what this says. It also does not say you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you're going to win thousands to the kingdom of God by confronting sin and walking up to people and saying, You are a sinner damned to hell and you're going to turn or burn right now in this moment. I'm going to lead... Most of us in this room probably will never have that kind of experience. If you do, please tell me. That would be awesome to hear how God worked in that moment. But that's not necessarily what's being said here. You know, I've really confronted a lot of my inner demons during this series. I grew up in church. I grew up in Pentecostal church. And so there's a lot of things that I was taught or experienced and just kind of through the process of osmosis just kind of took on as, hey, this is, I guess, what I believe and and over the last 10, 12, 15 years, some of that has really begun to flesh out and try to figure out, do I really believe it? But I remember learning about evangelism when I was a kid. Learning about witness. Learning about what it was that I was supposed to do. It wasn't always tied to this verse. But it was, it was centered around a lot of things. And some of these are effective tools in certain contexts. But if you take these tools and put them in the wrong context, then, man, you just, it just doesn't work. But when I, ta- when I was taught witness... I had a couple things, and as I was even putting this together, I had a couple things that just jumped out at me that I I relate to the idea of witnessing. The first is the guy on the street corner with the big poster board, right? He he's got the big sign when you're walking out of the Falcons game or the Braves game or the mall or anything else, really, and it, and it, he's got some message there about the world's going to hell and you need to get right or get left. But all right. So and that's funnier than he means it to be, like I. You didn't laugh hard enough. That's hilarious. Get right or get left. Some of you won't get that for a while. So that's that's one image I have in my head when I think witness. All right. I don't know how effective it is. There may have been thousands and millions won to the Lord through that method. But that's one thing that I think. And I'm like, oh, it makes me cringe a little bit when I walk out of the Masters in Augusta and I'm walking out or I'm walking out of the Falcons game and I see that guy. I'm like, oh, man, you know, because I. I'm now connected to that guy. Unbelievers look at that guy and go, all Christians are like that. And I'm like, oh, I don't think that's what I do. I don't think that's what I'm called to do. The second thing that I think about when I think witness is I think about like the thing that I was taught in a discipleship class as a teenager. Now, please hear me. I'm not making fun of this. This is, this is good content. I don't know if the delivery is always great in the way that I've seen it used, but it, it could be a lot of different ways. Okay, so again, this is some good stuff. The Roman Road, um, Evangelism Explosion or, you know, other step kind of formulaic things to get you engaging in conversation with people that do not believe like you believe. So if you were to die today, do you know where you would spend eternity? That's an opening question from like evangelism explosion or other curriculum-based witnessing type tools. And if they say yes, then you begin to kind of press into that. If they say no, then you know, okay, they don't know where they would spend eternity. That's your open door to them present the gospel and their need for a savior and their need to spend eternity with God. And so you see this formulaic type thing, again, not a negative thing, just in the context trying to understand, is this what I'm called to be according to Acts chapter 1? Is this what the spirit of witness looks like? But You will see power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will leave a dollar bill track outside of the gym in Canton, Georgia that I think is money and I pick it up and I go, oh no, that's not... I need to be saved. Like this, this is, I'm trying to figure out how much of this connects to what God is actually calling us to. So today we're going to look at this. Again, not everything we're talking about is negative, but I want us to understand what is the power of the Holy Spirit in and through us really calling us to be.
1: Now, I know what many of you in the room are thinking right now. You immediately found out that today's topic was witness and you regret your attendance this morning, <laughs> right? Especially if you've grown up in church or if you don't regret your attendance. Oh, there's the click again. If you don't regret your attendance, then maybe... You're like me, and you're just going to cower back into your seat, hoping that for the next 30 minutes, you're not going to be guilt-tripped into signing up for door-to-door evangelism next Saturday. You know what I mean? You're just going to get... That sign-up's in the back later, exactly. though. Exactly. Next Saturday, we're going to the Braves game, and we're going to hold out signs and, and bullhorns. You're more than welcome to attend. Um, but that's what I always associate with witness. I mean, for me especially, I'm an extreme, extreme introvert, Okay. Four five awesome now, for me especially, I'm an extreme, extreme introvert, so I'm not one to enjoy a lot of of witnessing. You see, for witnessing for me, there's nothing more painfully awkward or socially terrifying or regretfully mandatory aspect of Christian life than witnessing, right. Because there's something about it that pulls me out of my comfort zone. I mean, just to hear the word witness, my mind is flooded with partially suppressed memories of, like, heart-pounding, dry mouth terror being in a public place performing a pantomime skit. (laughs) If you know exactly what I'm talking about, if you grew up in any youth group whatsoever, right, this whole feeling that they're going to find some highly dramatic Christian song. It can never be like, Lord, I lift your name on high. It can never be how great is our God. It's got to be something that's eerie and loud and long. Right. And for whatever reason, I was always selected to be Jesus in these skits in high school. Like, I don't know why. Like, now I get it. Like, I've got the beard. I've got the hair. I look unkempt. I look homeless. Like, I get I look like Jesus now. But then when I was 16, man, I was, I can't act worth a lick. My happy face looks like I'm being tortured by a demon face. It's the same face, right? Yeah, but I was always selected and Jesus always has the main roles, right? I just wanted to be the drug dealer one time in the skit. You know what I'm saying? For those of you that have seen these skits, there's always like bad people that do bad things. They show up for 15 seconds and then Jesus kind of swats them away and they're gone. Why can't I be that guy? I've always got to be Jesus. So it's either I have memories of that. I have memories... Of, of handing out these highly dramatic tracts As Jeremy's talked about They can never be like Jesus loves you Consider a wonderful relationship with him They've always got to be like If you were to step out of your house right now And a blood clot were to travel From your leg to your brain And you die a sudden and painful death Where would you go, heaven or hell? And it's like Why can't we just hand out something That's, that's nice and kind to people, right? Or if it's not that Then I feel like I have these memories Of inviting people to church Like stammering, hoping to God And I know some of you can relate to this Stammering and hoping to God That when I invite them that one Sunday that they come can just be a normal church Sunday, just a normal day, you know, nothing crazy. And, you know, you walk in, you're like, God, please, just today, let this one person just not come and talk to me this one time. Let's just get through the day. You know exactly what I'm saying. There's, there's a reason that this is painful. Witnessing can take what seems to be a normal neighborly relationship and just send it into the twilight zone of religious debate and send it just far away into something that we never intended it to be. We're scared of it because it pulls us out of what we're normally expected to do. But this morning, I want us to re-examine it, as Jamie said. I want us to look at it in a different way. I want us to move away from witness as obligation, as task, as something we don't do enough, as guilt-ridden, just bad thing, and into this understanding of it as beautiful, organic, lively, dialogical, surprising, empowered activity. Moving away from witness as obligation and into witness as identity. So can you do me a favor and just empty your minds of all the concepts of witnessing? Maybe you don't have any, and if you don't, that's beautiful and that's wonderful. But I want us to hear Acts 1 with new ears. I want us to see it with new eyes this morning, and maybe we can discover who we are as those empowered by the Spirit to do this thing called Witnessing. Well, to start off, we need to define what a witness is. So the definition of witness, it's from the Greek word martyreo, which is where we get the word martyr from. One who has witnessed to Jesus to the point of death, right? So that's where we get the word martyr from. It's from the Greek. But it means in the Greek, just very simply, to confirm or attest something on the basis of personal knowledge or belief. To confirm or attest something on the basis of personal knowledge or belief. So think about this for a moment. It's taken straight from the court of law setting. Such that when we see just in the, it, it's just, it was the same in the ancient world as it is today. When somebody is on trial, there are witnesses that go before the, the jury and tell them, this is what I saw and this is what I experienced with relation to this event. And then based on the witness's testimony, they decide whether the, the event happened or not or whatever, um, whether the person committed the crime or not. It's the same in the ancient world. So it's, it's somebody that's standing before a group of people and saying, this is what I Saw, But you know, in order to be a confirmed witness in the court, you have to have actually seen something, right? For example, in the George Zimmerman trial, which the American nation is obsessed with right now, regrettably, but they're, they're just obsessed with this trial. They're not going to call me to come be a witness. Because I, I was nowhere near that event. I, I didn't see anything about it. The only thing I know about it is what the talking heads on CNN are giving me about it. They're going to call people who actually saw and were called about, or who were on the phone during the event, or saw the event, or whatever. They're going to call people who actually experienced it. They're not going to call me. Well, the same thing happens with respect to bearing witness in the world with respect to Christ. We have to, in order to bear witness, we have to have actually witnessed something. This is so fascinating. If you look in the book of Acts together, Acts chapter 1, Go to the beginning. You just turn to Acts 1-8. At the beginning of the book, it says this. For those of you who don't know, Acts is a, it's the second part work of a two-part work that Luke wrote. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he wrote the Gospel, oh, not the Gospel, but the book of Acts. And both of them are kind of one work together. Luke wrote the story of Jesus with the church in mind and the story of the church with Jesus in mind. And so at the very beginning of Acts, he says this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was up, taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Get this. After his suffering, he showed himself to to those men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Notice what the apostles are not doing. The apostles are not like, you know... I have a hunch that Jesus is probably around somewhere. He was such a good man. He was so close to God. He's kind of alive in our hearts. So let's just go out and talk to people about what we think. He's probably alive. I don't know where he is, but he's probably. No. They touched and they ate with and they spoke with and they heard from the resurrected Lord. And so they had something to bear witness to. They actually witnessed Jesus. And so they could bear witness to Jesus in the world. And it's the same thing for us today. I think some of the problem with our witnessing is not so much that it's just uncomfortable or it's awkward or whatever. But I wonder if we have something that we're even bearing witness to in our own lives. Have we encountered the resurrected Jesus? Have we experienced his presence? Have we been transformed by them? Do we have stories to tell? If not, then witnessing is just this dry, rote, memorized process. But if we have stories, ah, then we can bear witness because we've actually witnessed to something with respect to Jesus. Does that make sense? And so if you haven't had that experience, that's okay. Just open up. We need to open up our hearts and say, Jesus, if I don't have a story, give me one. And then we can walk through the world and have it. And I'm not saying that all of our stories have to be, you know what, I woke up in a brothel with a needle in my arm, and then Jesus saved me, and I gave my life to him. If that's your story, that's beautiful. But for people like me, I don't have that kind of a story, but I have your stories, and I have stories of a transformed heart. And I have stories of, of seeing people healed, and I have stories of seeing people's lives changed, and people uh, being provided for, and people's marriages being turned around, and their kids being reconciled. But I mean, I have stories to tell, friends. Do we have stories of Jesus? Do we have something to bear witness to about him? Because that's the power. Of the witness, it's in the narrative, but it's not just in our personal stories, right? Notice what Jesus teaches them about in this in this verse right here. It says um, he appeared to them over a a period of forty days and spoke to them about what the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is the implication of Jesus's. Uh, resurrection for the disciples personally. So it's not just about Jesus saved me, but it's also about, okay, if Jesus saved me and if Jesus has done these beautiful things in my life, then that must mean that Jesus is doing beautiful things in the world at large. Does that make sense? That means that there's a purpose to history. The resurrection means that God's kingdom is irrevocably invading this one. That means that all of the world is headed toward restoration, which Jeremy's going to talk about in just a minute. So if that's where all the world is going, and if I can believe that, well, then my bearing witness is not simply this is my story, but it's also this can be your story, too, because Jesus does this throughout the world. Do you see my point? And so it's it's bearing witness to Jesus in ourselves and Jesus in the world, and that's the content of our witness. Maybe we can summarize it this way. With respect to Jesus... To witness is to show in word and deed. So it's not just speaking, but in word and deed that we have encountered the risen Christ. We witness to the reality that in Christ, God is making all things new our stories are microcosms of the of the larger cosmic story at play of God making all things new because he makes us new and vice versa so that's what witnessing is it's bearing it's bearing witness in word and deed to having encountered the resurrected Jesus but notice today's message is not witness it's spirit of witness so we're going to talk about what is the spirit's role in witness and there's three things that we want to talk about the first thing that we want to say about the spirit's role in witness is this witness begins with the spirit Witness begins with the spirit. Let's take a look at Acts chapter one again. In verse four, it says this on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about for John baptized with water. But in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to catch this picture for a minute. Imagine Today, you leave everything you have. You leave every family member you have. You leave every job tie that you have. And you go and you follow some rabbi through the desert for three years, okay? And you just, and you just kind of emulate your life after him, banking everything that you have. You've given up everything. You bank everything you have on the fact that he's the Messiah, right? And then, and then you watch as he suffers before your eyes, and all of your hopes and dreams are shattered as he is crucified. And you watch him die before you. Everything that you've staked your life on now is dead, And then you're hiding out afraid that the Roman soldiers are going to come and murder you. Bad news. But then three days later, you witness not just a resuscitated Savior. It's not just, like, not just that he woke up and had been asleep for three days, but a resurrected Savior. This is a Jesus like Superman, like passing through walls and stuff. Like really cool stuff. So you witness a resurrected a person in a new mode of being, right? And you realize that this doesn't just mean that Jesus is alive, but it means that all of human history has been altered in this single moment of the resurrection. That when Jesus stepped out of the tomb, all of the human narrative have changed in that moment. And that God's kingdom is irrevocably coming, right? So your, your mind is blown. You've seen somebody be raised from the dead and living in a new mode of being. And so you're ready. You've got a story to tell. You've got, you've encountered the risen Jesus, you're ready to go. And here's what Jesus says. They're eating together. And on one occasion, he goes, you know what I want you to do? And they're like, yeah, what do you want us to do? And he goes, I want you to wait. What? <laughs> I want you to sit here in this city and just wait. So you're telling me we've got the best news that the world's ever heard, and I'm just supposed to sit here and do nothing? Seven weeks between the resurrection and Pentecost. You know how long seven weeks is? Seven weeks ago today was Mother's Day. Okay? A little while ago. I mean, you can, like, in, the, in your mind, you'd be like, was that really yesterday? <laughs> like, it feels like it was yesterday. But in some ways, seven weeks is a long time when you've got news to share. So they have to wait seven weeks before they share this message. And what does it show? They have to wait for the Holy Spirit. Witnessing does not simply begin with our stories, but it begins with a Spirit-initiated activity. Such that one of the most beautiful and powerful things that we can do as God's people is to wait on him for guidance. Now, I think the Spirit be, uh, witnessing beginning with the Spirit gets at a larger question of why we witness in the first place. If I were to ask you, why do we do this? Why do we put ourselves through the torture and the anxiety of approaching our friends and talking to them about Jesus? I think there's two common assumptions that we have about this. And the first is what I'll call, uh, David, you can throw up the next slide. Uh, The first is what I'll call obedience to Jesus' commands. So if I were to ask you, why do you witness? Well, we have at the end of Matthew, it tells us, um, Jesus tells the disciples, go and uh, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus tells them, go, make disciples everywhere. And So simply because Jesus said it, Jesus says, jump, and we say, how high? And so we go, and we do this thing called witnessing because Jesus asked us to do it. Well, here's my problem with that being the primary motivation of our witness. If our primary motivation is just because Jesus told us to do, then witnessing simply becomes another to do, uh, another thing to do on the checklist, right? Check—we got an infinite checklist outside of Christianity, right? I can hardly get all the things. I can't even do all the things my wife asked me to do. Like I can't—that list always is growing for some reason. But, um, I, but I can't even keep up with that list. Much less all the things that I'm supposed to do for Jesus. And if it's just one more thing, and if it's just one more law, and friends, I am bound to break laws. It's kind of something in my heart that's a bit twisted. I'm bound to break Jesus' laws. Well, if it's just another law, then it must not be urgent. Or if it's urgent, well, it's just one among other things. And if I get maybe 8 out of 10, I get an 80. And witnessing is just 1 out of 10. So I can, I can just easily throw that one to the side, right? But no, if, it, if that's my problem with it being the primary motivation. If it's just obedience to Jesus and it's just another law, and what can, be, what can be very beautiful and dynamic and spiritual and, and engaging becomes very dry and cracked and monotonous and robotic. But the other reason that we say that we ought to go and evangelize with all that we have is what I call concern for eternal residences. And this is what I'm talking about. What Jamie already referenced it a bit earlier where we, we talk about, we, we create urgency for mission by saying well, all of these people over here that haven't confessed Jesus are headed to hell and then we who have confessed Jesus are headed to heaven and we want to make the headed to hell number smaller because they're going to live in eternal torment and that's awful. And we want to make the eternal, the, 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 people of heaven number greater. And so we go out into the world to tell people about Jesus, to spare them from eternal suffering. Now hear me, that's, that's beautiful. That has a beautiful heart behind it. It has a beautiful heart of compassion, it has a beautiful heart of obedience, but I wonder if it's not, if, if, if it's an adequate primary motivation for why we witness. Now hear me, I used to live, like Jeremy made a joke about approaching people and telling them <laughs> that they were doomed. I used to be this guy <laughs> in high school. I worked at Walmart for a summer, which is funny in itself. Um, I worked for Walmart and the lawn and garden center of Walmart, which is another funny aspect because I know nothing about flowers. People would approach me and be like, uh, where are their geraniums? I'm like, I think that's in the pharmacy. I don't even think that's a flower. <laughs> I don't even think that that's really real. So I worked for a summer, the summer after my senior year, working in the Lawn Garden Center. And we all know the types of people that shop at Walmart, right? I shop at Walmart, but we know the types of people. You know what I'm talking I'm not being insulting. I shop at Walmart, but we know the types of people that can be at Walmart. Let's just say that. Types of people that can be present in that place. Well, that same, the same is true for the types of people that can be present in the employees bracket of that place, okay? So I met... Just to give you an idea, I worked with a guy that had, um, he wore dog tags. One of them said Anubis because he believed, honestly believed that he was worshiping the old, old Egyptian gods of like the new kingdom era. Um, Which is not, he's not, not Islam, not a contemporary religion. He thought that he was the re-embodiment of an Egyptian god, which is interesting to say the least. I worked with a guy, but most of the people I worked with did not know Jesus. And, you know, and, and it's hot and I'm out there. Like a, a woman will pull up in a Miata and ask for 40 bags of manure. And there I am loading 40 bags of manure into this person's car, telling them the, this is not going to fit. I promise you it's not going to fit. But yet here I am doing it. Anyways, and so there's these guys, and I was really passionate about Jesus at that time. And I would tell them, you know, we'd get into conversations. They knew I was a Christian. And so this one time I would start talking about, you know, why, why do you believe in Jesus? Why well, I love Jesus and all these kinds of things. And I was like, also, you know, what happens to those who don't believe in Jesus when they die? And he's like, yeah, you know, I, I grew up in church know, it's like the hell thing. I was like, yeah, but have you, have you like thought about hell before? <laughs> They're like, No. I'm like, have you really thought about what it's gonna be like? I was like, I want you to picture this with me. <laughs> I went on a fifteen minute rant of hell. It was incredible. Like I was like, imagine like drowning in utter darkness, but at the same time that it's just the worst pain you've ever experienced times infinity, but there's never any relief because you never die. And like I was just going all into the and just watching as this guy's mouth got wider and wider and his eyes got the size of like silver dollars. <laughs> I left. Neither of them made a commitment to Jesus, but I left like I was like yeah, I just did a good job. I just did it. I just showed them the hope of Jesus this morning. Like, but that was, that was what I thought was going to be effective. And it was so pure. And it was so good. Because honestly, too, if we, if we really believe them, then that's true. And we need to have compassion for people. And we need to share Jesus in an urgent way like that. I, I get that. But here's the problem with it being a primary motivation. Two things. Two things. The first is that if we look at the way that the witnessing actually functions in the book of Acts... It looks uh, that that model of being obsessed with heaven and hell or, or being the primary motivation at heaven and hell, that that doesn't work at all with the book of Acts. You know, how many times hell is mentioned in the book of Acts. Zero. Hell, Hades, fire, all of it. it's mentioned zero times. You no, know many times heaven is mentioned as a and as, e- as a place of eternal security for those who believe in Jesus in the book of Acts. Zero. You know what they're concerned with? They're concerned with having encountered the resurrected Jesus in the here and the now and what it means for the here and the now, friends. They saw that Jesus was enough. You see, what's so interesting to me? So the first thing is it doesn't look biblical. And the second thing is that to play up heaven and hell, in my opinion, shows implicitly shows people that really Jesus isn't enough to persuade people to follow Jesus. That is, if I have to approach somebody and say, do you want to spend eternity in hell or eternity in heaven? They're going to say, well, probably heaven. Well, Jesus is your golden ticket. Well, then they choose Jesus merely out of selfish reasons and it has no, has no bearing on what it means to be a disciple. But if I can come to them and I can say, I want to tell you something about the world. There's a brand new kingdom that's breaking into this one right now. And that Jesus can make all things new in you and in me. And there's, the world is headed toward justice and it's headed towards faithfulness. And I can show it to you because it's happened in my own life. And Jesus is pure hope and he's pure joy and he's pure love and he's pure power. And I want you to meet him. Will you meet him with me? That That's a beautiful story, friends. We don't have to play up all of the extra cosmological stuff. We can just say that Jesus is enough as a content of our witness. The problem is we have to have stories of him in our lives. Does that make sense? I know I'm probably stepping on toes and I'm I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to. But so if if these aren't the two primary things, if it's not obedience to Jesus' command, and if it's not concern for eternal residences, those can be like reasons B and C or two and three. What's the primary reason? I want to show you something beautiful. I want us to walk through the book of Luke together, not walk through it entirely. I just want to show you some passages. to show you, Jesus, uh, Jeremy already talked about how the Spirit of God is constantly present in the scriptural witness, right? From creation through Israel to Jesus, to the church, to the end of the age. Spirit is constantly there. Well, I want to show you some verses. I want to show you, oftentimes I think we think of Jesus as kind of Superman. Right They kind of just woke up, and he 's like, "I am the Messiah, and I will go do these things because i 'm Jesus, um, but I want to show you how integral the Spirit of God was in the ministry of Jesus that that is Jesus. Utter dependence upon the Spirit. It's really a beautiful. So I want us to walk through some passages together. The first one, Luke one thirty five. This is when Mary conceives Jesus. It says, "The angel answered to to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you." We see the Holy Spirit present in the ministry of Jesus prior to his even prior to him being born, prior to him being conceived, right. In Luke 3.22, at his baptism, "...and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove." The Holy Spirit's present with him in his baptism. Immediately after this event, look what it says. Jesus, full of what? The Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by whom? The Spirit in the desert. So the Spirit fills him with power and leads him into the desert. Immediately after this event in the desert, it says, "...Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of who?" The Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside." Immediately after this event, he stands up before the, the, uh, the synagogue and he reads from Isaiah 61 and he reads this, what's upon me? The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Later in the book of Luke, it says Jesus full of joy through the Holy Spirit said, and he speaks to his disciples. You're the next slide. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the disciples that he, to the apostles he had chosen. And this is one of my favorites, Acts 2.33. This is Peter speaking about Jesus after Jesus has ascended. And it says, Exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see. And here in one final one in Acts chapter 10. Uh, there we go. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Do you see how integral the spirit is? Jesus didn't just wake up and was like, I'm the Messiah. I'll just go and do these things. No, the spirit of God is constantly with him, empowering him and giving him guidance and giving him direction and leading him toward the cross and resurrection. The spirit is the one who resurrects him from the dead. And the spirit of the one is the one who continues his ministry through the church. So what does that mean? What am I saying? Why do we witness? We don't witness merely because of obedience. We don't witness merely because we're concerned about heaven and hell population figures. We witness because the spirit of Jesus, the same spirit that guided and empowered the ministry of Jesus, is now inside of us. And that spirit is now empowering us to replicate the mission of Jesus wherever we are. So we witness merely because the spirit of God is in us. To be filled with the spirit is to engage the mission of God in the world. To be filled with the spirit is to be one who performs the mission of God. The mission of Jesus. In the world, it's that it's a knee jerk reaction to be filled with the spirit is to be told by God that we are his witnesses. So it makes sense. We, it's moving away from from witness as obligation and stepping into witness as identity. identity. We, we are filled with the spirit of Jesus. And so we enact his mission in the world. Maybe we can summarize it this way. Our witness is not motivated by an obligation, but by an identity grounded in the spirit of Jesus as we are filled with that spirit. We are compelled to embody Jesus' mission in our world. So witness begins with the Spirit. And for my second point, uh, and not too much longer, um, witness is led by the Spirit. So witness begins with the Spirit, and witness is led by the Spirit. If we look in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 7, this is what it says. Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive what power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem. I think, uh, as Jeremy has already said, we, we we focus so intently on our method. Like it's like, uh, I'm, I'm more of a confrontational type person, so I'm going to hand tracks out and I'm going to go door to door. Or maybe I'm more of a lifestyle person and I'll just embody morality in my workplace and hopefully somebody will come and approach me and ask me why I'm such a good person. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not me, it's Jesus. That's why I'm so good. And then um, if, it's, if, if maybe you're not a lifestyle person, maybe you're more of a relational person and you'll kind of get to know somebody. Whatever it is, we get so caught up in method. But here's what's so beautiful about the way the book of Acts portrays the Spirit of God is that the Spirit of God is portrayed as one who not only gives impetus for mission, not only who sparks mission, but also gives enablement for mission. That is, allows us to even do spectacular things for Jesus so that in by the Spirit we are empowered to do Jesus' ministry, as I've already said. But what does that look like? Does that mean that we can go around like healing people and exercising demons and prophesying? Sure. But we can also be morally transformed and be ones who, are, who show Jesus' love and show Jesus' compassion in ways just like... Jesus. And so I think this is very, very significant. I think it's beautiful because it shows us that the spirit enables us to do things we cannot do without the spirit. And we see one of my favorite stories is in Acts chapter four. And it's the story of Peter and John. They've just healed a crippled person in the Sanhedrin. The Jewish leaders bring Peter and John before them. And this is what they say. By what power did you heal this man? And Peter gets up and, like, it says, filled with the Holy Spirit with this great boldness. He gives this great speech about it's only by the power of Jesus that we're saved, which is this beautiful idea. And it says this very cool verse. It says that the religious leaders saw with what boldness they spoke and realized they were just ordinary men, but they took note that they had been with Jesus. Just, it's a really cool concept, right? That the Spirit of God is the one who enables us, who, who, who empowers us to look like Jesus such that we are just ordinary people. And then by the Holy Spirit, people say, no, 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 there's something different about this person. But it's not just being empowered by the Spirit. And this is the second thing. It's being led by the Spirit. And just as the Holy Spirit is so integral in the ministry of Jesus, I want to show you how integral the Spirit is in the ministry of the church. So let's run through these quick verses together. Uh, Yeah, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, so Peter has a vision from God. The spirit speaks to him. Simon, three men are looking for you. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent you. Look later in Acts 13, while the prophets and the teachers of Antioch were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Next slide. It seems good to this is when they're writing to the Gentiles, it says, It seems good to whom? The Holy Spirit and to us, not to burden you with anything. They could easily said, Hey, it seems good to us, but no, it seems good to whom? The Holy Spirit and to us. Acts twenty, and now compelled by who? The Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. That's Paul speaking. My favorite one, though, is in Acts 16. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Which is so weird, right? We just think we're supposed to go out in the world and talk to anybody and everybody. But... Paul's trying his best to get to Asia, and the Spirit's like, "No, don't go to Asia. Don't go to Asia. Go over here. Go over here." Which is which is this very personal? It's just this very personal dynamic to the Spirit. When they came to the board of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but what? The Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to, so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that witness is not. Some kind of shotgun approach where we go in and lone rangers save everybody in our workplace. But witness is instead is this beautifully empowered and yet dynamic reality where we're in constant dialogue with the Holy Spirit throughout the day. Friends, it's the Spirit's mission. It's not ours. Whether we are a part of it or not, it doesn't matter. It's going to happen. But we have the beautiful role of being able to be participants in it. So what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that through Jesus, Through the Spirit, witnessing begins as the Holy Spirit compels us as we are filled with the Spirit of Jesus to do his work in the world. You are filled with the Spirit of Jesus to replicate his mission in your family, in your workplace, wherever you are. But not only are you filled by him, but the Spirit has given you special ability to perform insurmountable tasks that you can just watch and wait as the Spirit does beautiful things through you. But he has not only empowered you, but he is going to hold your hand through the entire process he's going to say, I want you to speak to this person. I want you to take a right instead of a left. I want you to go up and I want you to buy this person's lunch today. I want you to go up and I want you to show this person that you care for them and pray with them. But it becomes this, instead of this being this, Oh my gosh, I should have talked to my neighbor today about Jesus. I did not do that. It instead becomes every moment, every minute. Jesus, I know you're within me. Jesus, I know you're here. Teach me whom you want me to talk to. And so instead of it being this, Anxious, ridden, dry, robotic task ah, now becomes a dialogue full of life and surprise that we can say, Spirit, I hear you. I rest in you. And I know that if you ask me to do it, you're going to give me the ability. So, yes, I'll approach so-and-so and and pray with them. Yes, I'll buy so-and-so's lunch. Yes, I'll speak to them about Jesus because I know that you're with me and you've called me to do it. It moves from something dry and boring into something spectacular, into an identity into something filled with the stories of who he is in us. Maybe we can summarize it this way. This is a quote from Clark Pinnock. He wrote a book on the theology of the Holy Spirit. And this is what it says. Mission is not human effort responding to a commandment. It's not even obedience to the Great Commission. It is natural and spontaneous. Only after the Spirit fell did the disciples speak. Spreading the gospel is dependent not on human wisdom and strength, but on a demonstration of spirit and power. Mission is not something we do to expand the size of the church. It is something God does to bring justice to the nations. The Spirit is not the sustainer of the church, but the driving power of its mission. The main thing for us to do is to place ourselves at the Spirit's disposal.
0: So witness begins with the Spirit. Witness is led by the Spirit. And the last thing we want to point to today is that Witness and the Spirit point to the kingdom. You know, Justin made reference of the kingdom and he made reference to the kingdom of God and it's referenced in Scripture. I want us to read together from Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 8. All of these verses have been hit a couple of different times from a couple of different angles. Let's just read them all together. Acts chapter 1, 4 through 8. It says, On one occasion, while he, Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus has been resurrected. He's meeting with his disciples. He's talking to them. There's relationship there. He's showing himself to them. And then he gives them that clear instruction. Just wait. Wait on the Holy Spirit. Wait on the gift that the Father has promised. And what do they do? And I I make fun of the disciples so much, I don't mean to, because I'm sure I would mess it up just like they did. But they hear about this incredible gift of the Holy Spirit. And what do they ask? Is now when you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Is now the time? I mean, are you restoring the kingdom now? Now, this is not the same kingdom idea that we've even been talking about today. This is not the same kingdom idea that they even came to realization later in the book of Acts, and we see written about throughout other parts of the the later New Testament letters. They really did think that Jesus was a literal king coming to establish a literal kingdom on earth in that day to release the oppression of Rome off of them in that day, in that moment. And what the resurrection of Jesus showed to them is that there's a bigger story going on than the things that you think about your current condition. There's a bigger story than you worried about Rome and its oppression on you and the people you know. And so he's pointing to them and they're asking this question and they're saying, he's saying, wait on the Holy Spirit. Wait on the gift that the father is sending to you. And they say, great. I'm assuming then the gift means that you're going to establish your kingdom today. Is now the time that you establish the kingdom of Israel? And then Jesus turns the conversation away from that question and points it back to them. And he says, don't worry about the time. The father knows the time. Don't you worry about that. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And so what he does is he takes their focus off of changing the the, the circumstantial, the, the earthly conditions that they're worried about in that specific moment. And he points them to the larger kingdom story that exists in the kingdom of God. It's what Justin referenced. Not only were they exposed to the resurrected Jesus, they were exposed to the truth that the resurrected Jesus means that All things are being made new, not just the kingdom of Israel in that moment, but that the entire earth is being made new under the power of the kingship of God. And so you and I have that same ability. You and I, through the scriptures that we have access to, Through the stories, the incredible stories that we hear from people in our lives, the incredible interactions that some of us have had with this resurrected Jesus in our own life. We've been exposed to the resurrected Jesus. We can give witness to that. And then we can also give witness to the coming kingdom that speaks to the reality that all things are being made new. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of Jesus Christ here on the earth. And so we point people to the reality that that day is coming. A favorite preacher of mine says it this way. It doesn't take any faith for believers to look at the world and say, the world is dying and decaying and falling apart and going to hell and everything's terrible. It doesn't take any faith to do that. All you have to do is open your eyes and look outside and you see it. But it takes incredible faith to look at the condition of the world and to prophesy to the darkness that the light is coming that's witness witness is looking at the darkness and saying this is not all there is all things are being made new so how do i do that i can't just stand and scream it and yell it i don't know that that's the most effective way in that moment unless i am led by the spirit empowered by the spirit in that moment to do that in that specific context but i do believe that it's how am i being led by the spirit to proclaim the good news of the coming kingdom that all things are being made new I want to read, Justin referenced Clark Pinnock a minute ago. It's an incredible book. It's called Flame of Love. It's a theology of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to read some excerpts here from pages 141 through 147 if you want to check the resource. But this is what it says. So you'll see dot, dot, dot. I'm skipping ahead. Here's what it says. God wants a community that, like Jesus, gets caught up in the transformation of the world. We are saved not just for our own benefit, but to become disciples of Jesus who bear witness to and embody the coming kingdom. The challenge facing the church is not theory, but practice. Not so much showing that Christianity is intellectually plausible as enacting the gospel and recognizable signs of the kingdom. The goal is world transformation. See, I am making all things new, Revelation one five. The church, filled with the Spirit, is agent of God's coming kingdom and sacrament of the world. God touches the world when the church speaks the truth, proclaims good news, performs Jesus' actions, identifies with pain, builds community, shares and forgives. We are neither optimistic nor pessimistic about the world, but wait in hope, serving the Lord. You don't testify about the coming kingdom by telling people how cool your church is. You don't testify about the coming kingdom by even yelling about what hell may look like to people that work in the Lawn Garden Center at Walmart. You recognize the leading of the Spirit in you. you. You follow the promptings of that Spirit. You listen to the voice of the Spirit. And you expose people to the reality of the kingdom by the way that you live with hope. The way that you live with hope. Because, see, Justin talked to us about what a witness is, and a witness is someone who stands and tells what they saw, what happened. But by faith, we have this really cool opportunity to be witnesses, not just of something that's already happened, but of something that's going to happen. We get to witness the resurrected Jesus. It happened. It was real. We can prove it. It's transformed my life. And not just that, I'm also witness to something that is yet to come. Because it's yet to come, I have hope that no matter what I see with my eyes, no matter what's going on around me, I have hope that God is continuing to make all things new. And so how do, how do I do that? How do I be a witness in my life? What do you do? What, what do you do for a living? Where do you kind of hang out during the day? I think that you are a witness as a stay-at-home mom. In the way that you transfer hope to your children, I think you're a witness as a school teacher by the way that you transform and transfer light in dark places. I don't think that you stand in your classroom and have to give the three or four or five guiding principles of Jesus Christ. I think you do some of what many of you already do you just transfer hope, you shine light in darkness. When you're a doctor, you're a missionary, you're a witness in the way that you treat your patients. I think you just find ways to be led by the spirit in the places that the spirit has led you to do life and you point them to the thing that is to come. I just I don't want to be the voice in the darkness yelling about the darkness. I want to be the light in the darkness that points people to hope. And all of the things that we've used as a bad example of witness aren't really bad examples of witness. Most of them are just examples that you and I feel like, man, those are cringeworthy moments maybe, or those are out of context moments, or maybe that's not what I hope the Spirit asks me to do. or. But who knows how those people are responding to the Spirit in them. Those are examples used to bring us all to a same understanding of where we've seen witness at work. But I think you've probably seen witness at work in places you don't even realize. If you think now about the people that you know who are filled with the most hope in the midst of incredible pain and tragedy. The people who fight for justice in the midst of injustice. I believe that those are witnesses under the power of the Holy Spirit to point to the kingdom that's yet to come. I want to read one last scripture. This is from the message translation, so it's a little different than maybe the one that you hold. This is First Peter chapter 4. It says, everything in the world is about to be wrapped up, so take nothing for granted. Stay wide awake in prayer. Most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it. Love makes up for practically anything. Be quick to give a meal to the hungry, a bed to the homeless, cheerfully. Be generous with the different things God gave you, passing them around so that all get in on it. If words, let, let it be God's words. If help, let it be God's hearty help. That way God's bright presence will be evident in everything through Jesus, and he'll get all the credit as the one mighty in everything. Encores to the end of time. Oh, yes. I want to ask the band to come. And I want you to think about this Statement, this question. If a witness tells a story, what story am I telling? If a witness takes the stand to tell the story of what they've seen and heard, what is my story pointing people to? What's my story witness to? What am I bearing witness to? What am I pointing to? Am I pointing to the resurrected Jesus? Am I pointing to the kingdom that is to come? Am I pointing at the darkness to remind people that the world is falling apart? What is my witness? Am I open to being led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, to point to the kingdom, the rule and reign of Jesus Christ here on the earth where all things are made new? Am I open to that? If a witness tells a story, what story am I telling? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. I want to be a witness. and, And I don't know, I don't know the results of that. I don't know how many people will pray their sinner's prayer in front of me. I don't know how many people will be led to the Lord through that. But I just, I want to recognize that the Spirit can use me to tell a story. To tell a story of the resurrected Jesus, which means that even the power of death isn't more powerful than the power of God. And later in the New Testament, we're told that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me and you. We have access to the power that speaks to the truth that all things are made new. I've said for a while, we we opened this campus because there were 85,000 unchurched people within seven miles of this high school. I would love to personally talk to all 85,000 and invite them to church and that's let's keep doing that. That's great. But I think even greater than that, how can we together be witnesses under the power of the Holy Spirit to actually tell a story that no matter what we see around us, this is not the end. All things are made new. I want you to do something for me. Lance and the band are going to kind of just sing a chorus. They're going to sing a little piece of the song we sang earlier. I just want you to close your eyes just for a moment. Nobody's looking around. You just got your head bowed, your eyes closed there. And you're just, I just want you, if you would, just to, just to search your heart. I mean just to ask yourself several kind of questions. You can rephrase them however it best fits you. But am I open to being led by the Spirit? Do I really live in a way that says that I'm empowered by the Spirit? Or am I kind of empowered by my own things and what I want to do? And if a witness tells a story, what story am I telling? Am I pointing to the kingdom? Am I pointing to the rule and reign of Jesus Christ? What is my life telling? What is my life showing? Just think about that. Nothing has the power to save
1: but Your name.
0: I want you to stand with me as we pray today, God. We we recognize that if we're going to accomplish. All that you want us to accomplish, it's got to be through your power. We, We see through the scriptures that we've been exposed to today that even the things that Jesus did were done through the power of the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so God, as we attempt to live our lives in such a way, to be what you've called us to be, help us to recognize the work of the holy spirit in our lives help us to be open and receptive to how the spirit can use us but even beyond that how the spirit can just work in us to continue to shape us to make us new and allow us to share the story to be the story that points people to the coming kingdom points people to the reality of who you are and the work that you do God, we thank you for the Spirit. We thank you for the Son. We thank you for you, the Father. We thank you for the work that you do in the world. And now we commit together in this place to at least being open to this idea, to at least consider the work that you are doing and how we might be a part of it. God, let us... Bring justice to injustice. Let us bring love to the unloved. Let us shine light in the darkness. God, let us point people to you through the stories that we tell. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's sing this together. Your name.